Hello and welcome to another episode of Sim Sundays. Now, Chris, uh, his son has a little uh, accident with the old wrist, uh, doing some some sports, some soccer uh, in the US. So he is uh, not joining us this week. So I'm driving solo, which is a little bit nervous. But luckily, you know, we've got Mike in the background doing all the uh, the broadcasting. So I'm in safe hands, and I'm joined by somebody who knows how to talk. It is Chris Buxton, <laughs> sim racing and real world uh, motorsport commentator. Welcome to the show, Chris. I am honored to be here. I've been really enjoying seeing how this series has grown in its very, very short lifetime. You've had some amazing people on the show so far. You've had a real life racing driver. You've had programmers for Seto Corsa, and you invited me. I am a mere pleb compared to the people you've had on. <laughs> And compared to you, wonderful people at Gridfinder, I am honoured, nonetheless. Uh, you are you are too kind. It always freaks me out when people say that they've watched or listened to the podcast <laughs> because, in my head, we're just doing this for for just a bit of fun, and it's a podcast, a bit of a side project. You know, we do it because we love it. And then somebody says, "Oh, I like the podcast." Like, hang on, what? You listen? <laughs> oh God. <laughs> so that's always nice to hear. Uh, and yeah, we have had some absolutely cracking guests. Um, We've been very fortunate. The sim racing community and the motorsport community, as you know, and we'll get into this, um, I'd like to talk about what it's like being part of the paddock and then also being part of the virtual paddock that you've more recently become a part of. Um, but the motorsport community and the sim racing community is incredibly friendly, incredibly warm, incredibly generous. So when we've been reaching out to guests, um, literally everyone's been like, yeah, it sounds like a nice idea. Nobody's asked us, well, you know, how many thousands of listens are you getting? Because we're like, oh, um, 0. 0.00. <laughs> like, I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> we're doing it because it's fun if you want to join us. So, yeah, it has been um, it has been a cool journey. I think this is maybe episode 10 or 11, perhaps. Anyway, less about Gridfinder, more about you. Chris, tell us your story. Now, I'm not going to leave the question there because that would be incredibly unkind. <laughs> <laughs> First question in a 40-minute podcast. Tell us the story of you, Chris. Um, but I'd like to learn a little bit about the early days. And I kind of do this with a lot of guests because I'm always intrigued how somebody gets into the world of sim racing, right? Because it's so niche. It, you know, not many, there's not many of us around there relative to other esports or, or other hobbies. Um, so I'm always interested to see how people went from what they did previously to getting into sim racing. Now, you've got a bit of a journey through motorsport, which is going to be quite exciting to hear about. So how did you first start your journey in motorsport generally? Uh, like most people, I am a big fan of motor racing. Uh, Formula One was where I first got the bug for, for motor racing. Uh, I mean, we're talking, uh, yeah, I'm quite an old bear. I was born in 1858, while coal was a major wow. power source. Um, <laughs> <laughs> now I was, uh, you know, I'm born in 1980, so I'm 42 now. So I tend to be the elder statesman in the sim racing world. And I've been used to that ever since I entered it six years ago. Uh, but my f uh, my fondness for motor racing started with Formula One back in the kind of Senna Prost era, um, and from there I've just loved anything that could race. You know, if it has an engine and can move, I'm interested in it. Uh, whilst Formula One was my main area of of uh, your focus um, as the years went on, and particularly as my um, my brother had started to buy older cars, like you know, Mark II Escorts was his first car. So I then started oh, nice. to get a, a bit of a appreciation for classic machinery. Um, but how I got into sim racing, particularly because I was a fan of motorsport, I would play 
games like um, Jeff Graham's Grand Prix um, was kind of the first racing game rather than a arcade based you know Mario Kart. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I would try most things with um, that that had a form of racing in it. Um, and I think Chris, who, who I say it's a shame he isn't here, because I think in one of the previous episodes, I'm sure it was Chris that said that something he likes to do is, is a lot of time trialing. Um, yes. And I'm guilty of exactly the same thing. <laughs> um, um, so how I started into sim racing links back to that, because I was a huge fan of Project Cars 1 and 2. Um, let's not talk about 3. No, um, <laughs> Project Cars 2 has a bit of a cult following, right? Mm. It, it was, even still. Uh, yeah, e- even even now, it's kind of got that sort of Assetto Corsa stamp on it that, you know, this will live forever, the community will keep this going. Yeah, but Assetto Corsa continues to evolve through its modern community mm. and is still well supported by Kunos, whereas, of course, Picars 2 never had that. So it, it could never stand on the same, same stage as AC. But I was just beginning to dabble with becoming a YouTuber. So I was starting to learn how to make videos. And I started my very first uh, YouTube video I ever made were vehicle showcases for Project Cars 1. Um, And from there, I started to poke around on the Slightly Mad Studio forums. And it was in those forums, I saw an advert for a, a racing league that was about to launch. And I'd been umming and ahhing about commentary for um, oh, a, a while, but never really examined about how to get into it. You know, the closest I got was my own radio show on a local radio station in the town I live in, um, wow. which, which happens to be where Jensen Button is from. Right. Um, I mean, I may as well say it's Froome in Somerset. Where, you know, people will Google that one pretty quickly. <laughs> um, he actually came to turn our Christmas lights on uh, a number of years back. Um, I think seven, eight years ago, and I got to interview him because I was the Formula One expert of the radio sh- of the radio station, and he was a very, very nice man. Um, very cool. So That's a big gig was... to get in your early days as a commentator. Yeah. Right? <laughs> well, that was that predates commentary, and it was May 2016 when I spotted this this particular post uh, for uh, a community Apex Online Racing, which are, are still around. Um, and it was for a Formula Renault League in Project Cars 1. And that was like, I could commentate on, on virtual racing? Yeah, okay, let, let's give this a try. So I, I I emailed them and said, you know, this is me. I've never done it before. Uh, you know, here's a link to my radio show. Uh, and I, I gave it a try, and I was just hooked. Uh, I still remember the. F- I I still have somewhere on my YouTube channel that first commentary. I cannot listen to it. It's for me. It's and I'm I'm sure everybody is like this when when you you've done an art for a, a number of years and you go back to where you start. You, you oh god, it's it's I can't right. listen to it. it. It's it's horrendous for me. Other people may well enjoy it, and and that's fair enough. And I was well, greeted. You- Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just going to say because you didn't come from like a completely inexperienced background. You had a radio show, right? So, so it was commentary for the first time, but it wasn't broadcasting for the first time. And actually, you dabbled in in YouTube as well, right? So, how yeah. was the first commentary gig you did? How did it feel different to the other things that you'd done? Well, everything else was always pre-planned. You know, the the radio show was always a post-event script, essentially. So I was reporting on events that already happened. And of course, the, you know, the, the YouTube stuff, you edit it, 
to, although I never actually, with the very first videos, I did edit them, but then I started making series, you know, actual sim racing series, and they were mm -hmm. just recorded and uploaded. I never, as I wanted it kind of raw, I wanted that warts and all kind of feel for that series. Yeah. And I carried that on for, for several years. So the commentary was was live, and that was a very, very different discipline that I wasn't used to. I'd never been in that situation before. I'd interviewed people, yes, which is obviously a live situation, but that was a, a rarity. Uh, and suddenly I'm put in a position where your entire focus has to be on lots of different things. In an interview, you have a set amount of questions or you have a, a schedule to follow, and you react to responses from your interviewee. But your focus is only on one place. It's on your script. Down. <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to make some notes here. <laughs> Whereas commentary, you're focusing on the action you can see. You're focusing on the tower to see if the, you know, there's, there's position changes. I, had, I was totally naive. I thought, oh, let's give us a go, see what happens. I was knackered after the first one. I was exhausted. I, I remember I sort of sat there like... <laughs> like that for about 10 minutes i thought i need to go to bed it was like half past eight in the evening and i was exhausted but i was hooked i was you know for the first time i thought uh, again like a lot of people i kind of my my working career was was never anything exciting it was customer service based so i'd had a number of years of what i call vocal presentation um i knew how to talk to people so um that's where I had a bit of an advantage to commentators that have gone straight into commentary from a very young age that haven't had that life experience behind them that I have. Um, so I knew how to talk, which sounds like a bit of a strange statement. Everybody talks, but not everybody has that kind of vocal presentation skill, that interpersonal skill that, that enables them to be a good commentator. Um, and I started to realize I had that skill, but I... I then I found that was my direction. I I suddenly had a focus, uh, but I you know I'm I'm a family man. I have two children. I, I did then, um, so I, finding that work, commentary, family life balance mm. was very difficult. And initially, I did what a lot of very new commentators do: was like, yes, I commented on everything, <laughs> and and one I burnt out really quickly, and and that's not a nice feeling. But of course it was creating difficulties at home because I was using a lot of time away from my children who were very young. Yeah, they're 12 and 8 now, but, of course, six years ago, they were 6 and 2. So yeah. uh, and I, and my children are special needs children, so it's not like I can just leave them to play in the corner. Um, these days, more I can because they're older, but back then I absolutely couldn't do. Uh, so it was a difficult balance to, to strike, but... I've been very fortunate in my commentary career that my commentaries have very, very largely been well received. So I knew that not only did I enjoy doing it, but I actually had a talent for it. Um, I, I'm not someone that's very good at doing the whole "Look at me, I'm wonderful." I, I can't do that. It's uh, that's just hard. I, you know, my, that's why my social media presence is is minimal because I'm not very good at. Hey, I'm doing this. Come and you know, come along. I, that whole self branding, you, you know, kind of yeah, building up your own profile and treating yourself as a brand that you've got to get out there to all these different organisations. But I mean, you started with AOR. I mean, that's not. I did. You know, sim racing since then has become huge, and now there's, there's thousands of these communities. Um, so 
you know, a lot of commentators will start on a, with a community with, say, 30 or 40 drivers and not very many people, if any, watching those races in order to kind of cut their teeth and, and create their show reel. You kind of went straight in with AOR, which I suppose, A, because you had that experience and that talent, but B, because it was, in some senses, perhaps the right place at the right time. Sim racing was just taking off and commentary was becoming like a thing that people needed, right? Yeah, it was very much in its ascendancy at that point. Um, I started in the Project Cars arena, and then I was asked at some point along the road to do their Formula One side, which was their big ticket item. That mm. was what made, you know, AOR was the place to be for F1 drivers wanting to compete with the best. Uh, you know, very much WOR and PSDL more have that title now, but back then it was down to AOR. Yeah, and um, I, for a period of time, was their head commentator. So it was my responsibility to give commentary positions to commentators, which was very stressful. Um, and yeah, that was very, very challenging because yeah, it was great telling people, yes, you've got the top tier in on the PlayStation side. Yeah, well, that was great, but having to tell commentators, no, I'm afraid you're in F3 again. Yeah, you know, mm. is is difficult because you can't replace those at the top if they haven't done anything wrong. But that makes it nearly impossible for those on the lower ladders to get towards those at the top where they realistically want to be. So that was that was tough. Uh, that was a difficult position, but I did it, um, and I've had some amazing opportunities resulting from my the reputation I built up at the time uh, with AOR. Um, when that started to kind of get a bit rocky for AOR, I was then focusing on the real world uh, commentary side. So I kind of took a step back from from sim racing for a period of time, mm. almost at the wrong time. Because when I decided to come back to to sim racing, I wasn't the the hot ticket item anymore. So which is that that's the natural evolution of things. So that was a bit. I'll be honest, that was a bit of a bitter pill to swallow. There was an element. Well, there was an element of of me that was because I was very used to dealing with the very best in the forms of the drivers I was talking about. Um, there was an element of me that expected to get straight into that position again. Almost, I, I hate to use the phrase, but it was uh, was true. There was a sense of entitlement. Um, you know, Do you know who I am? Do you know what I've done? You know? <laughs> I, I didn't go that far, but there, but there was that element. And then because I couldn't go into those positions because there was somebody already there, and I was, yeah, they'd done nothing wrong to be replaced, same as the situation I had when I was at, uh, the head commentator at AOR. It was a case of I had to then reevaluate re realistically where I sat in the pecking order. So it was like, yeah, okay, I, I've got to rebuild my reputation because you, you very quickly are superseded if you disappear from the scene. Now, that's the same for drivers at a top level as well of, of any discipline. If you disappear for a season or even half a season, you're very, very quickly replaced. So mm, no, yeah, absolutely it is. You know, you, no one is indestructible in, in this industry or the real world. So tell us about those early days then when you were you were still cutting your teeth and you were still doing your first few races and you were learning what were you finding what were the challenges what what which and i'm talking commentary specific so anyone listening who wants to be a commentator you know they might be wondering like what what's what's going to be the hardest part about this or what's going to be the most rewarding part in those early days what was it um 
the, the, the challenge for me was remembering everything I had to remember. The more you do something, the more uh, in the more automatic it becomes. So you remember instances that you've seen before. You more remember corner names. Even now, I, I don't commentate without a track map because I, I've got a terrible memory at the best of times. Well, that's um, kind of reassuring. That's kind of reassuring. And the reason I say that is because um, it, it hasn't gone live yet because it's an audio-only version. But I actually uh, interviewed Alex Goldschmidt um, mm. last week about commentary generally. And he was telling us about his systems. So his, you know, his systems to kind of get all this information and get the stats and all the driver profiles and their stats per track, per series, per chassis, even for, for go-karts. And he was reeling off lots of this technical data during the interview, even with no notes. I thought, is, is it really the case actually that you have to have an incredibly good memory for detail in order to be a successful commentator? And that's kind of what I was leaning towards during that interview, but it sounds like maybe there are methods around that. You either have to have a very good memory or have very good notes. Like, you know, when I'm in the, the real world side of things, I have a, as many notes as I can do because I, the, the real world stuff I've done is classic cars. I haven't grown up with those classic cars being the norm. Uh, we're talking 60s and 70s cars that predate even me. So um, I, I don't know the intricacies of, of, of an MGB or, um, you know, Triumph TR4. Whereas I'm much more familiar with uh, a Volkswagen Golf, you know, uh, or um, you know, Sierra Cosworth, you know, things mm. like that. They're more familiar to me. But so I I make up for the lack of experience with information. So detail as many details as I can find on drivers, previous results, uh, and things like that. So I don't have to rely on my because my memory is awful. Uh, so I have a lot of notes. Even if I don't end up using it, you know, 85, 90% of them, I feel more comfortable doing what I do when I have that back up behind me. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm more nervous if I don't have that preparation there. And it shows in the performance I give. But there's a there's a balance, right, with with commentary, and this is only from the perspective of a of a of an observer. Um, that you you have there's kind of a a balance to be struck between being very data rich in what you're delivering and remembering to tell the story of what's actually happening on the screen, right? So most of the data that you'll have prepped, the very nature of it being prepped means it's happened in the past. And so if you're talking about it, you're, you can't be talking about what's happening on the screen at the time. So that you must have to make decisions all the time about like, right, am I going to talk about this battle happening here? Or is it a bit of a lull and I'm going to talk about the guy out front and you know this is his first time out front in how many races or you, you must be constantly trying to make these decisions that becomes instinctive with experience uh but yes early on you you will make the mistake of um burning up what information you've got and suddenly finding yourself with nothing to talk about right uh, yeah every, every new commentator would do that experienced commentators will do it um one of the most difficult commentaries i've ever done was in the, I think it was 2018 or 20, no, must have been 2019 Challenger Series for a Formula One, where there was no race. It was 45 minutes of filling in and no race actually happened. And that was because the, um, it was Xbox Live were just having an absolute horrendous day. Every time we went to launch the lobby, it failed. So right. me and, and, and my counterpart, Justin Sutton, who I love working with Justin, um, we, 
because we'd both been in the industry a while, we had an amount of things to talk about. But we both admitted if that had gone on any longer, we were out of <laughs> you'd stock. Have, you'd have dried up. Yeah, we, um, we'd have ended up talking about what we had for breakfast that morning. We we were right. out we were out of out of yeah, I say out of that kind of mental stock of information you use to fill in with. So yeah. but, my um I think I think my some of my favorite commentators are um the Radio Five Live commentary for Formula One with um Jenny Gao, uh Jolien Palmer and Jack Nichols. And the reason it works is because they are telling a story and they're in that you can really tell that they're just enjoying the event together whilst they're talking about it and and i remember i was actually on holiday so i can remember this so vividly but i was on holiday and i i remember which grand prix it was it would have been last year it would have been about september and there was a red flag and the red flag went on for ages and they would they would just went off on one and they would start talking about each other's like favorite types of cheese based like from the region <laughs> where, where they were but it was so incredibly entertaining and i remember listening just with this sense of awe that these are race commentators. People are here to hear the story of the race. There's no racing happening. And yet I am quite happy listening to these guys just talking utter nonsense for 45 minutes and every now and then kind of dipping back into an update on what's happening kind of around the track. It was, it's an incredible skill, especially overcoming that sense of stage fright, right? If, if you're booked to talk and you can't think of anything to say, then it's, it, there must be a, a moment of, of, of panic. How do you overcome that? Not easily. It, it, that's something, again, it sounds like a cop-out answer, but it's experience that, that takes you through those sort of things. And you will have them. Uh, any new commentator, anyone new to any kind of presentation role, whether you're public speaking, uh, commentating, whatever it is, um, you, will get, you, you will have situations where you're stuck and your, your brain just goes, meh. You know, it just gives you nothing to say. And you've still got however long of your broadcast or whatever it is you're, you're doing. You still have a time to fill. And you've got all these eyes or virtual eyes staring at you. And everything feels like, you know, ground, please. You know, everything just feels like it comes to an absolute halt. But this experience that, that, that helps you get the tools to deal with that element of nervousness um as well as like i said earlier stop of having um a, a collection of things to use if you need to right so you almost have a kind of like a backup pool like a reservoir of ideas and talking points <laughs> that you can check off and just hope you don't get to the the bitter end of that list yeah and you will in for for some situations i i had one where i was doing a a 12 hour broadcast solo that was wow. the that was the hardest one I've ever done because and I did run out of things to say by about the seventh to in the between hours seven and nine was really really difficult one because I was starting to feel really tired um, but two I, I I even said at one point because sometimes you just have to admit defeat and say I'm <laughs> struggling to find things to say here but that's where having somebody alongside you know you mentioning about. Yeah. Um, you know, Joni and Jenny, and and yeah, having all bouncing off of one another. The the importance of having a a good partner with you, even if the 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 person you're with isn't necessarily you know the best commentator in the world, but if you work with them well, if you bounce off of them brilliantly well, that can make a whole world of difference. Because one, you've got somebody else to to actually give their input, which you then can respond to. 
Mm. But exactly as you would describe it, you end up with moments where you, you're just being jovial with one another. Um, yeah. Because you're there to entertain, right? You're there yeah. to entertain. Although, although you know, the commentators from a purest sense might consider that, you know, we have a duty to tell the audience exactly what's happening in the race. Well, the whole idea of a race as a, as a spectator sport is to be, is, is for people to be entertained. So mm. if the commentator is just adding to that, that sense of entertainment, then that's surely good. And, uh, but, but maybe there's a bit of a balance if you're not really focusing on the kind of the motorsport element of it and you're going a little bit too off piste. Yes, there is a balance to be struck. Uh, absolutely so. But I mean, it's a very old-fashioned value to only give information. You know, go back to the go back to the BBC of the nineteen twenties. You can't be right. Yeah, 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 yeah. How dare you have an accent if you're not proper? You know, stiff up a lip English. I mean, there's no. You can't talk to the BBC. You know that sort of thing. That um, is a very oh, old-fashioned. <laughs> Why? Thank you. Uh, it's a very old-fashioned um, value, which. If that works for you, and there's another important element of commentary, is your own style, your mm. own method of delivery. There's no point trying to be somebody else because you'll be called out for, if I tried to be crafty, people would call me out for it. I can only be me. I can only deliver my commentary in my own style, which yeah. won't work for everybody. And that's no. that is another very, very difficult lesson very early on is that, not everybody will enjoy what you do. The more yeah. people that do, then you're doing it right. And I, I've had situations where um, I've had to kind of talk. Um, I'll tell you, know, one particular example uh, is Jessica Bell. Uh, she's a brilliant commentator. Um, she is involved in hundreds of leagues now and is also commentator coordinator for several of them. Uh, but early on, she, she came to, to me at AOR and she came up with, or still has the same kind of stick because she's female. Everyone assumes she's a twelve-year-old boy, and it it really did knock her confidence very early on. I mean, she's got she's because she's always had to deal with it. She's gotten better and better, and she's got broader shoulders, so yeah. she's learned to deal with that. But early on, it was I actually had to sideline her at one point because she was getting so much flack that mm. um, the higher ups were getting worried about then it becoming like a um, almost a commercial impact so yeah. i was re i was reluctant but i had to do it but also i didn't want her to lose her confidence and and love of doing it you you have to have an enthusiasm mm. for public speaking if you if you're dreading it you'll never do it well well that um, brings me on to a, a point specifically about sim racing commentary which is i suppose unlike real world motorsport commentary and we'll, we'll get onto that and how you got into that in a second but with sim racing if you're if you're brave enough i suppose to have the chat up whilst you're commentating then you're going to receive instant feedback on your performance that if you i don't know let's say you went to your local 750 motor club series and you were commentating the the clios or whatever and you're up in your tower and you're just commentating talking around you know you're not likely to see feed you know no one's going to come up to the comment commentary box and be like i don't know what you're saying about that or that was boring or what are you on about like it just doesn't happen right so you're just kind of broadcasting out into the air and there's no real direct feedback whereas with sim racing especially some of the bigger leagues you know aor wr psgl they can have a, th a thousand two thousand three thousand people in the chat if you say something or you make a mistake you're going to know about it straight away yep um 
And very early on, I paid way too much attention to that. Um, I'd be I'd be watching the the how many people were live, how many people were watching count like a hawk, and that would really put me off. Um, I only ever did that on my very first broadcast. And when it when it would dip, I would start to panic. Think, did mm. I do something wrong? What what was it? Was it me? And I yeah. thought, why am I doing that? Why why the hell am I doing it? Do not do it. It will do you no good to to watch the the how many alive. Have a look at it at the end to see how many people were there. If there were three, fine. I mean, does it doesn't matter if you're doing something you love to do. That's the biggest part because then you will deliver the best performance you can. If you're enjoying what you're doing, it's not a waste of time. It, yeah. People, you'll always have detractors. You'll always have haters. Uh, I've had them. Fortunately for myself, very few times. But I've had I've had people saying, "What the hell are you saying?" And sometimes that's made me. Um, when I start to overthink that, and I'm very guilty of this, um, I my performance suffers. If I see a negative comment in the chat, mm. um, I overthink it. I do. Um, I, I don't have a very thick skin. I better than I was at the beginning. Uh, but as soon as somebody would criticise what I was doing. Um, either in the the coverage or what I'd physically said, um, I would start to stutter. I would start to, to not panic as such, but I would just start to. It would my performance would suffer. So I don't pay attention to. I keep a vague eye on the chat to see if anyone's asked something. Um, that I that I if I have an opportunity to answer it, you know what tires is such and such on, or what's the weather doing? Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah, so whatever. Yeah, yeah something yeah. like that. Um, then it gives so, me an opportunity to answer that. So what would you say is the biggest mistake you've ever made when when, when commentating, real or real or virtual? What's the biggest oh. like faux pas? Oh God, how long have you got? Um, when well, it comes tell, to tell, tell us the most exciting story. <laughs> um, <laughs> there, there are numerous I could probably say. One of the things I, I think about when it comes to mistakes, um, and I made this decision very very early on, is own them, run yeah. with them. Mock mm. yourself with them, because I the way I dealt with, um, rather than getting to the end of the broadcast of, oh my god, why did I say that? Why did I call this corner number this or whatever? Mm. Yeah. I'm forever getting corner names wrong, driver names wrong, what have you. And I watch a broadcast back, and and I could write like an essay of all the mistakes I've made. Run with it. One, you can't do anything about it because it's live, and you've uh, if it's edited, then that's a different matter. But generally, they're live. You can't do anything about it. Run with yeah. it. Yeah, and this um, is. This is this this is why I'm convinced that the the kind of the stats, the figures, the facts aren't the most important part of the commentary. The enthusiasm in the story is the most important bit. So you know, Murray Walker, very famous commentator, everyone loved him. He had so much energy and passion, but arguably made a lot of mistakes. You know, whilst he was commentating, would get cars wrong drivers wrong corner numbers wrong would wouldn't know what tires people were on but it didn't really matter because you were listening along and you had a massive smile on your face because the guy was enjoying it so much 100 percent agree it's how you deliver it is so important and it has to come with enthusiasm you cannot do commentary half-assed yeah it, it's impossible it, if you're not into it the audience will know it because and they're coming into turn one. Oh, what a great pass! No one wants to listen to that. Mm -hmm. You know. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Okay, you can go 
completely the other way. It's like, oh my god, he's starting the race. You, 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 you can go too far yeah, yeah. with it. So yeah, you do have to strike a balance. But again, when you're starting out, you don't know what your style is. You don't know whether you fit into the the analytical side, the the uh, color commentator, or the play by play side, which is more where my style is. Um, not to say I can't do analytical side, but I'm much more suited to the verbal diarrhea that's needed when you do the play by play. And, and yeah, you have to have that energy, even if you yourself are absolutely shattered and you can barely, you know, keep your head off the the yeah. keep your head up like this. You still have to kind of dig deep and find that energy. Which, when the racing is good, I find that is very easy to do. When when You've got an endurance field at Le Mans. There's only eight cars remaining. That's hard. That's when you need experience. Mm-hmm. That's when you need <laughs> your um, your stock of facts behind you. So, yeah, the, you do need those facts. You do need the filler bits. But vast majority, I'd say at least 75% of any commentary delivered should be on what you can immediately see, what's immediately going on. But it's also finding where the action is. If the leader has just disappeared off into the distance, Leave mm. them alone. They, yeah, they, yeah. They're, they're not doing anything interesting. They're just going off and being two seconds a lap faster than everybody else. Have a look at the, the argument for 11th, 12th, 20th, 100th, whatever. If right. they're having a good battle, give, you know, give them some airtime. I'm, again, very keen on trying to give airtime to everybody involved. It's more relevant to sim racing because in the real world, you don't have control over that. But um, I'm very keen on giving representation to everybody exactly as you said earlier tom um you are telling a story i feel it's very important to represent the drivers in as best light as i can because they are putting hours into what they're doing um and depending on what you're talking about some of it could have a lot of cost with it more with the real world stuff of course but um either way they are everybody first to last are giving it everything they've got and so i feel it's my duty to represent them in the positive light as I can. Even if they've just absolutely banzied into the back of someone to take them out of the race. Okay, you, you have to say, well, that looked a bit reckless. Um, <laughs> but you don't you, you don't just yeah. immediately call them out. That's occasions where I've gone, hang on, you've done this on purpose or, or something like that. But sometimes it's, it's, it appears blatant. I've made mistakes before where you've gone, oh, you've done this, you've cut the corner. Whereas actually I've missed, a, I've missed something that happened before. Right, that, they've actually been... It. Yeah, that um, you know they've been forced off the road and they had no choice and banzai over a chicane. You, you're talking about um, faux pas I've made. There was one recently uh, in the real world where I was um, I was up at Anglesey, which is in the very northwest tip of Wales, um, beautiful place, and um, I'm very good at muddling up letters or names like you know instead of Dave Williams, I'll say Williams Dave or things like that. <laughs> but uh, instead of club chairman, I, I call him the uh, Chub Clement. Oh. <laughs> so, uh, so it, it, as soon as I said it, I went, ah, Chub Clairman, what am I saying? Club chairman. So again, owning the owning the the mistake and making fun of it, you know, is yeah. just running with it. Um, I find that it puts less pressure on me to be one hundred percent perfect because no commentator is. Every single commentator, high or low, will make these little faux pas. If you can make, if you can have a bit of fun with it and make you, make fun of yourself. At the same time, when you're not taking yourself too seriously, which I think is very important, you have to do the best you can and take the role seriously. That doesn't mean you can't have fun with it. Um, and exactly that, as you were saying earlier, that, that it's far more interesting to listen to 
someone that's delivering a commentary that's having fun with it than it is to listen to the this has happened, this has happened, this has happened style of commentary. If, if that's your style of doing it, okay, run with it. But in my experience, enjoyment and passion and enthusiasm is by far one of the most important qualities on the commentator. Yeah. So let's, let's talk about real-world motorsport. And to start with, when you first started commentating sim racing, did you have it in your mind that this could be a route to, to commentating real-world motorsport? Or was it a case of, actually, I quite like the look of this, and I, you know, I, this is what I'm here to do? Uh, the latter. Um, I actually wanted to be a Rocket League commentator when I very first started. Oh. Because nice. um, uh, I was big on Rocket League at the time. And I did do some uh, Rocket League commentary for Gfinity. Uh, did get to talk about some of the best in Europe uh, for some of the Gfinity series that was going on at the time. And I delivered that in very much like a, a football commentator would do it. Um, so I sort of say, the, as, each, as the ball went to a different player, I'd then say mm-hmm. their name. So, oh, yeah, down to yeah. here, down to here. Um, and that, that's just the way that it happened. It wasn't an in, a conscious, conscious decision. And I thought, this is what I want to do. I want to do this. It soon became obvious you have to be in America if you're going to make it big in the Rocket League broadcasting right. scene. And again, because of my children, I was like, not yeah. going to happen. You can't not be broadcasting at three in the morning. <laughs> Monday <laughs> to Friday. <laughs> no, indeed. So, And I was then gaining traction, pun intended, with the F1 side of things. So um, I then followed that path. And how I ended up into the real world side of it was I started when I realized that I could, I was good at what I did. I thought, let's see how I can make that into a real world opportunity. So, contacted local tracks, which there's, there's two near here, Castle Cream and Thruxton, which didn't get me anywhere. Um, I thought, oh, well, never mind. And then at the end of 2019, I thought, right, I'm going to have a really big push at this. So, um, I started emailing every club I could find an email address for. Um, saying, hi, this is me, this is my show reel, this is what I can do. And then beginning part of 2020, well, we kind of know what happened there. I was like, well, I've picked the worst possible time. <laughs> the jump Yeah, I was like, yeah, well, that didn't go well. Um, but as a result of that, it was June time, 2020, when I was contacted uh, by a gentleman called Mark Werrell, who is a hugely successful Antanity commentator, 20 plus years in the business, who organizes commentators for the Classic Sports Car Club. He's been involved with the CSCC since their inception, as far as commentary is concerned. So he's very much the voice of the club, and he's he allocates commentators to events uh, across the country. So he sent me a clip of um, some racing at Donington, the Radical SR1s, and he said, commentate this. And the clip was only about 20 seconds. But that was, I, I, I thought, right, okay, let's let's do a bit of research first. So I had to look at what the round was, what the series was, what certain things was asked, Mark, what does this mean, uh, and things like that. So that I could enter that commentary as if I was familiar with the series. Um, so, sorry, just to, to interrupt here, because so, I want to break this down, because if, if, you know, one of the reasons that I was really excited to have you on is because we have so many people in the Good Finder community who are trying to become commentators and broadcasters. And so I know that they'll get a lot from this episode. And I think it, this is news to me, right? So this might not be news, news to, to a lot of people, but is that how you interview for a commentator's job in the real world? You, you get sent a, a, a silent clip and get told, right, commentate on this. That's, you know, almost like a live audition. Is that normal? 
um it was normal for this this in uh in this particular situation because i had no real life commentary basis to base my right. uh performance on yeah. um i had my sim racing stuff of course I, you know, i'd been in that for several years by you know four years by then um and of course as far as commentary is concerned it's it's you're almost doing exactly the same thing there's there's subtle differences uh, but you're generally doing exactly the same thing as you would in the sim racing uh, scenario. Uh, so I, I, I still remember that really clearly. I was just getting into it, a really intimate stride. I was like, oh, the, yeah, the, it was Donington Park. Love Donington. Um, and the clip suddenly ended, and I was mid-sentence. Uh, and I even said, oh, that rather caught me out. And the other thing that Mark asked me to do was um, give a um, – Give a filler, basically. So the race has been red flagged. Uh, Masters are doing something. Uh, say, what would you say to um, keep the audience uh, informed? That sort of thing. And I, I came up with. I can't remember quite what I said. Now, I think I talked about. You know, if you want to get involved in this series, go here. Uh, I think I went down that kind of line. Uh, and Mark uh, emailed me back and said, um, "Come and see me in Donington." Um, but my journey into the commentary box was not quite that straightforward unfortunately because uh i did go and see him in donnington and that was my first time ever to donnington park and i was barraging him with questions yeah uh, and he he said to me sometime later he said it was great that you asked them but it was very clear you were inexperienced in real world motorsport and some of them you really should have known but the fact that you asked meant you were interested in learning. So yeah. you'd have much rather I did ask, but it was quite clear that I hadn't a clue what I was on about. But I knew I didn't know what I was on about. Because uh, all too many times, he's had situations where people think they know what they're talking about. And because I've come from a customer service background, I know that feeling all too well, where you know someone's described a problem, you know what the issue is, but oh, yes, I've done this. And you think, that's yeah. got nothing to do with your issue, sir. But you can't say that. <laughs> Um, oh, yeah, how many people have been in the customer service or retail entry and just think, no, you're wrong. You'd love to say that, but you obviously can't. <laughs> um, so Mark was more happy that I was actually saying, I don't know this. You know, point me in the right direction. And as time went on, I would ask less and less questions because I then knew where to find my own answers. Um, so my very first commentary was in 20. Well, that's, before I talk about that. Um, I had a, a rather unfortunate uh, happening in, in 2020 where um, a, a very dear friend of mine, very dear school friend of mine, actually took his own life, which was a complete was shock. Um, and that happened in September 2020, just as I was potentially starting this journey. Mm. And um, something that you... you may have ascertained from from my um youtube channel what have you that one thing i am a huge advocate of is mental health um i've suffered a number of mental health problems myself over the years which might come as a bit of a surprise to some people because of being a commentator being a, a more public figure you just assume extrovert you assume exactly totally um, and god there's a whole different show about how the difficulties i face and overcoming introversy to do what i do uh, mm. but that's not for this particular show but i had that weighing on my mind when i was trying to um find a new path 
And that led me down a very dark rabbit hole that I didn't know I was even going down. Uh, so um, I, my, but my very first commentary was in Thruxton. Um, it was due to be in Snetterton in 2021, but COVID again um, aggravated the racing calendar. And uh, racing started the day after I was supposed to be in Snetterton. I was like, oh, really? Couldn't you have made it yeah. a week earlier? Um, but uh, ironically, because the calendar had changed, I ended up with going to two different places, Snetterton being one of them, in September, I think it was, in 2020. Uh, the other one, the first one was March of 2020, uh, sorry, 21, in Thruxton, which is one of my local circuits. Um, and I loved it. I was wandering around the paddock, speaking to everybody. It was really, really friendly. And uh, you, you'll appreciate this, Tom, but uh, the, when you're in that kind of club racing uh, surroundings, there's a lot of um, camaraderie. There's a lot of support yeah. available. And, of course, I didn't know who anybody was, and no one knew who I was. They were thinking, who the hell is this fat idiot wandering up to us having a chat? But as soon as I said I'm part of the commentary team, everybody was happy to have a chat to me, which was yeah. wonderful. I, I, I've uh, yeah, had so many lovely, lovely chats. But uh, things got very difficult for me in 21, um, where uh, after my, my friend took his own life, it all came to a head when... Um, I had, um, I, I basically had a breakdown in June, July time. And that following that made me realize quite how bad I'd got, um, mental health, physical health wise, I was eating myself into a grave. I mean, I'm a very big guy because my vice is food. Um, you know, I don't smoke, I don't drink. So I, I go for food. Uh, so that made me sort of realize no, I, I'm, I need to do something about this. And I then, so I started to kind of get back on my feet a little bit. And then in October of last year, I had a stroke. I actually had a mini stroke. So I was hospitalized with that. And then uh, two weeks later, I had COVID. So, wow. uh, yeah, that was great. <laughs> that's, uh, that seems, that's, you know, as, as years go, that's a pretty tough obstacle course of major life events to to overcome especially when your your role in in motorsport is to be the as you said the extrovert the you know mm -hmm. the happy excited kind of you know big big energy figure yeah. that's that's telling the story of motorsport when you've got quite a lot going on that's a that's a conflict right somewhat yes uh, and there were times when it was really hard to um kind of detach yourself from the real world but I found that commentary was an escape. It was a way for me to just be someone else for a little while. Not that, and I don't mean that in the sense of I would I deliver my commentaries differently. It was more a case of I was I had something that could just separate me from the rubbish that was going on. Yeah, and, an and allow me. Go on. Sorry, no, I say it's almost like an escape. Yeah, exactly that. It's something for me to focus on that wasn't the you know stuff that i couldn't immediately resolve you know it's, uh, obviously i i've had counseling and things like that to to help me get back on my feet and i'm in a much better place now uh, there, there are still dark days yes but uh you know, i'm in a better place now as a result of the journey i've gone through um but commentary actually was a, a bit of a help because it, like i say it gave me an avenue to do what i love to do away from what was really impacting me at the time. So um, after 
having COVID. Um, I've since then I've done a few other things for other than Classic Sports Car Club. I uh, I did a bit more. I did a bit more presenting rather than commentary, which right. for me is is dead easy. Um, which again sounds so, might sound counterintuitive to some people. Um, but you're on camera for five minutes. You then get to watch the race for a while, and then you're on camera again for another few minutes, and round and round you go. So right. if you're used to commentary, presenting yeah. is a doddle. You know? It's just a very um, short sidestep. So so what were you hmm. presenting? Uh, I did a bit of caterums, uh, a bit for the... Um, it was the BRSCC, so British Racing and Sports Car Club, uh, their caterum championship. I've done presenting for um uh what are called the legend series they're hilarious fun they're, yeah. they're basically um they're four dodge and chevy chassis i think from the 40s um with yamaha motorcycle engines in them they they make a wonderful I've, scream i've seen them at knock hill they look they're intense. brilliant they have huge great grids as well like 30 odd cars and i've done presenting for them as well and i'm I'm going to be going to donington actually in a couple of weeks time doing another round for them so uh, they're awesome i love watching those um also diesel focuses which is an odd series to think about but again single make series provide some brilliant racing even if they're you know situations you was all you know in the enduro car i mean how many great battles have you been involved with in oh, the yeah. short time you've been doing enduro car yeah, single make series it doesn't really matter how slow they are. I, I've always said I could commentate on milk float racing, and you'd have great, <laughs> you'd have great fun doing it. But that sounds um, like something you could actually do on a set of Corsa too, <laughs> more than likely. Um, but it comes back to the love of doing it. I love being involved in that industry, so it's it's easier for me to find the energy to to do that sort of thing. You know, it's it's very easy, well, easier to do something well that you really enjoy doing. Yeah, no, one hundred percent. And so, tell us about the uh, how you kind of prepare differently or present differently if it's sim racing or motorsport. Is it is it largely the same? All the concepts are the same, or do you have do you take a different approach? Presumably, so not to put words in your mouth, but actually in sim racing, maybe you actually have more data, bizarrely, than if you were at say up the tower in Donington or Cadwell Park. It depends. As far as how you prepare, you prepare it in a very similar way. You find out who and what and where. So you, you you try and find out who you're talking about, which if you've been involved in the championship series, like you know, like what I do for PSGL, they're the same drivers week in, week out, broadly. So I, I know about them. I know you know, I've commentated them on several series, et cetera, et cetera. So I know who they are, where they are, know about the track that uh, you're talking about, whether it's Snettington, Donington, Knockhill, Cadwell, whatever, understand the in- intricacies of the track. So a track, uh, and understand how the cars, so the what element, how that will attack a track that you're at. So take take the Enduro car, for instance. That thing is going to be flat out almost everywhere. But you take something like that to Cadwell Park, the car's mm. going to work very differently than it will uh, he's telling me (laughs) so between cadwell and donington you attack those very very differently so it's understanding how those cars react differently but relate that more to like classic sports car club where you have a different mixture of cars you've got um you know in some series you'll have like uh, bmw lotus tvr very different cars you could easily have a 4.7 liter growler being chased by 1.8 liter screamer <laughs> of some description um 
It's understanding how the different machinery can behave on a track. And that's the same sim racing as it is to uh, to the real world. If it's a single spec series, like, you know, obviously the Formula One stuff, they're all the same. So you you have less of that to worry about. But it it's under, like I say, it's understanding the who, the what, the where, and almost the why, but it's, uh, you know, it's the what. Uh, what. What is racing, where it's racing, and who is racing it? Um, you approach those the same way, real life and, and sim racing. The differences more come in how you deliver it. So in sim mm. racing, you either um, have direct control of the cameras, like you know, when I do my F1 stuff, I'm, if I'm the streamer, I have direct control of the cameras. If I'm doing something for, for GridFinder, for instance, that tends to be handled by the, the, the god himself, Mike Yao. So I'm relying upon a, a provided image, which is exactly the same as a commentary box. But the difference there is that in a commentary box, you have typically a lot of places you need to look, not just at the stream you're given. You can do it like that. But you've generally got a lot of, you know, a lot of monitors, timing screens, other cameras around the, uh, depends on the commentary of us, but you've got other cameras, you've got the actual windows in the commentary box to look out, to look out of as well. So you've got a lot more places you need to look. In sim racing, you're looking in one place. Yep. You can look out the window if you like, but you ain't going to get a lot out of there. <laughs> um, but it's one of those things that you have to be, um, you have got to be a bit more on the ball to use all of the tools available to you because they're delivered to you in a bit of a different way in the real world as they are in sim racing. Yeah. There's still lots of places you can look. You can look at the at, at timings, at championship results, uh, obviously the race itself, other cameras if you can. So there's still plenty of places you can look in sim racing, but unless you have 40 different screens around you, generally you're yeah. looking here and you're looking here. Yeah. Whereas in a sim, in a real world box, you're looking everywhere. Everywhere. So, yeah. Spinning um, around. Yeah. It's, it's it's similar challenge, just delivered in a different way. Talking of sim racing, shall we do some? Oh yes. Hey, this is Chris from Gridfinder. Thanks for listening to the Sim Sundays podcast. Head on over to Gridfinder.com to find your spot on the grid and join sim racing leagues for all your favorite games. Just enter your preferred game, car of choice, then let us know if you'd like to race PC, Xbox, or PlayStation, and we'll give you a list of actively recruiting leagues for you to join. And if you're a league owner, post your league on GridFinder so that you run with a full grid for every race. If you'd like to participate in the races featured in each episode of the Sim Sundays podcast, join our Discord server by going to gridfinder.com slash Discord. We host a new car and track combo every Sunday at 8 p.m. UK time and stream it live to our YouTube channel. If you're looking to upgrade your sim rig, visit the episode sponsor TrackRacer at trackracer.com. Thanks for being here. All right, so we've got some we've got some questions. Oh, we've had uh, Lawrence de Souza in the chat as well. What's the crack, boys? <laughs> I really enjoyed our episode with him. So, uh, question for Chris from Toby. So Toby Owen Racing, actually, who we were talking about earlier uh, about his upside down escapades. Um, <laughs> if you could see any fictional track brought to life in the real world, what would it be? <laughs> what a lonely banner break would be lovely but it would, it would never be uh you know it'd never be sanctioned essentially um oh i i'm i don't know because the, the sim my sim racing experience has been primarily on tracks that we've seen before so uh the the only one that i have any kind of uh authority on will be banner break maybe not as a uh maybe do this as, as like a, a rallying special ta- a stage or a, effectively like a hill climb uh, rather than 
uh, a GT race. I that would be brilliant. I think in in on Bannock Bray. Yeah, that would be fun. I mean, Bannock, Bannock Bray is a bit of a classic, isn't it? It's just so well done. It's so it gets the the balance right between like the Sunday drive and then the raceability. But you're right, a hill a hill sprint would be fun. Uh, right. So Andrew Clues asks, what sort of info does Chris have in his research? Is it stats, stories, or details of their past career? I assume drivers' past careers. Unless it's yours, maybe it's your past career. <laughs> well, I, I'm, I think I'm a subject matter expert on my own career. Um, in uh, in sim racing wise, uh, well, I've seen both. It's kind of a mixture of the three. I the place I would tend to start is race results. Um, how a driver did on a track in the past. Um, it's, it, but that never really tells a whole story. You, you can see that someone DNF'd in a, in a particular race, but it doesn't tell you why. Um, maybe they made a mistake. Maybe they can't let them down. Perhaps somebody else took you know their own inc- somebody else's incident took them out. You, you can't rely on just results. Having them is useful. You can say, oh, okay, you know, okay, this driver struggled here last time, or this track was unkind to them, something like that. Um, finding out something about them, you know, a story or, or a fact is really, really good to have. In you know, wandering around the paddock and speaking to drivers, I love doing that. It's so much fun to, to get to know them on a yeah. more personal level. Um, so, like, you know, this driver this is a retired airline pilot, or, you know, this driver's a doctor, or things like mm. that. It's just nice little way that brings you as the commentator into a more um kind of relatable role you're yeah. not you're not you're not just a news reader you're not just saying what is going on well it's you're a valid talking. part of the story isn't it it's, yeah and, it, and it's kind of unique to club racing and sim racing if you were if you were commentating on a formula one race you wouldn't expect martin brundle to go up go go down through the garages and be like <laughs> to alex albon so what do you do monday to friday then or is this your full-time <laughs> gig <laughs> you know it's, yeah. he's not gonna be working in costco um yeah yeah, it's kind of nice being able to bring that color to the the commentary Mm. i i fondly remember um alex weller coming down the uh the garages in uh at snetterton asking us about our story how we came to be the team we were what we thought you know how we thought we were going to be doing uh that that weekend um and it just it just added so much more to the commentary when he then goes back up to the box and as he's talking about the cars he kind of can put a face to a livery Mm. And also, the the way to to approach that is tell the story you want to hear. What are you interested in? Find the detail you want to know and add something maybe it's a little bit more obscure to it. So find out those previous race results, but find out something, uh, you know, like, uh, you know, this car was bought from that person or this, this previous car is now sold to Goodwood as a race meeting car or something like that. So... Find out what you want to know and add add um, you know, a quirk or something like that in the real racing world. In the sim racing world, it's you, you you've got more avenues instantly. You know, you've got Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. You've got other yeah. means to find bits out that you wouldn't necessarily have in these in the real world. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so Andrew also asked, how long does it take you to prep? Oh, thou, um, it kind of depends how much prep you want to do that sounds like a bit of an odd question but you can go into a meeting completely blind i would never recommend it um because it will make your job much harder Mm -hmm. if you if you've got no other information to to talk about um i can spend a week 
prepping for a race meeting of a weekend, but that doesn't mean like nine to five I'm doing all the hours. It's around what I'm doing. So, um, but I, for, for Classic Sports Car Club, I actually have my own database of previous race results that I add my own little notes I've gathered in my time with them, which has only been about 18 months. Um, but I very much hope to be working with them long term. So having that information, even if I never use it, I'd rather have it. And yeah, I'd rather yeah. have it and not need it than the other way around. Um, so the more time, the better, uh, generally speaking. But you can get to a point where you're you're gathering kind of nonsensical things for the sake of gathering something. So you, you're working smarter is more important than working harder. Yeah, like in like in anything right all right chris thank you so much for your time today this has been really fun i really appreciate your uh choice of car and track um, <laughs> I, I didn't i actually didn't think i would when you said when you said i was like, oh god bad, bad, another one. why no nobody will just pick i don't know the nurburgring like you know, you know no one picks one that we know it's always it's always something a little bit left field um and actually i'm really glad that was the case because that was fun and i think the gt40 around bannock bray might be my new i'm just gonna go and chill out and do some sim racing combo it used to be the nautilifer any gt3 now i think i might try some of the old classic cars <laughs> i kind of i kind of started airing that way after the gp laps episode last week um but thank you for your time and thank you for sharing uh, what you shared with us about your mental health obviously it's not a, an easy thing to talk about but i know that um lots of people were affected by covid and a lot of people will have got into sim racing during that time um, and so we'll probably relate sim racing with with you know those times in their lives so um i'm really hoping this episode is useful for upcoming commentators and sim racers who want to get into the world of uh, broadcasting be it esports broadcasting uh sim racing broadcasting or real world uh, motorsport so thank you for all the insights that you've given my pleasure and thank you so much for inviting me on it has been a ball i have loved it um and if anybody wants to to find me have any questions or ask any guidance please do uh, I'm all for sharing knowledge and, and certainly with the you know, mental health is something that's very dear to my heart. It's, it's something I've always uh, wanted to kind of promote a positive uh, image about. It's particularly difficult for a lot of men to, to seek advice in that sort of thing. So yeah, it's talking about it is, is a very difficult first step. So come and find me. Come and have a chat. Where can people find you, Chris? Uh, easiest place to find me would be on Twitter at King Kodiak underscore UK. Uh, I've been King Kodiak for a very long time now. Um, That's one of my questions. I forgot to ask. What's the story? Right. I, we're, we're short for time. So in 30 seconds, what is the story behind King Kodiak? My original online name was Munchie19 because I was 19 years old when <laughs> I first got online. And no one took me seriously. Funny that. Um, <laughs> Shocker. So, um, after browsing through a through a thesaurus, I found Kodiak, which is actually a uh, a bear. It's a very big brown bear oh. off of um, based on Kodiak Island, which is off the coast of Alaska. Um, but a lot of people had Kodiak back then because it was a mech in Mech Warrior Two, I believe. So a friend of mine thought of King Kodiak, and it's stuck ever since. And it's been there since about two thousand and one. Nice. Well, that is far more creative than mine, which is just my uh, initials and my name. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you very much for your time, Chris. I really appreciate it. And um, if you want to listen to this, uh, to any of our podcasts, you can go to uh, Spotify, Apple or Google Podcasts and you can find 
little snippets of the podcast on our Instagram and Facebook and uh, Twitter, all at GridFinder. And thank you to Track Racer that sponsored the podcast and provided us the the sim rig that I was racing in tonight, even with the the force feedback, the direct drive force feedback I had going around the GT, going around the ballot with GT40, that thing is rigid. So thank you very much, Matt, and thank you for the episode you gave um, us a few months ago. That is everything. I think I've ticked everything off of my list. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Chris. Really appreciate it, and we'll catch up soon. Thank you very much. Look forward to it. <laughs>